Good afternoon, good morning. This is Mark Johnson from Loyalty360. Hope everyone's happy, safe, and well. I want to welcome you back to another edition of Loyalty Live. Uh, in this series, we talk to the leaders and customer channel on brand loyalty about the technology trends and best practices that impact a brand's ability to drive unique experiences, uh, deeper engagement, but most importantly, customer loyalty. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Regina Blackstone, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of Identity and Cyber Protection at Generali Global Assistance. Eugene, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, first off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role uh, at uh, Generali, and uh, your background? It'd be great to know. Sure. Um, that's Those are big questions, but I'll try to boil them down to the things I'd say I'm most proud of. Um, I'm a wife, I'm a mom to two awesome kids, and I'm a marketer. Uh, currently, I manage the identity and cyber protection team, as you mentioned, uh, uh, the marketing team here at GGA, and um, been doing marketing all my life, really. Marketing is what my undergraduate degree is in. I started my career at Caterpillar, had a variety of different marketing roles there, and really have been doing some sort of marketing ever since then. I really enjoy marketing, um, lots of aspects to it that I like. It's a little bit of business, a little bit of science, communication, psychology. It's, it's just, and it's always evolving. So keeps me on my toes. Absolutely. Um, can you tell us a, a fun fact? We always like to get to know the people we interview on a more personal level. Uh, we've had people that were born on uh, uh, and then dropped off two days later at the the uh, local Catholic church in the Philippines. We've had people who are extreme skiers. And what uh, what is one fun fact or a passion that you have? Okay, I cannot compete with either of those stories, but um, I will kind of piggyback to my previous response and just say, as much as I love marketing, it might be fun or surprising to know that I actually changed my major in college three times before uh -huh. I settled on marketing. So I started out in industrial engineering, then I went to computer science, then to communications. Um, so there were a lot of things I liked about each one of them, but always just kind of felt like something was missing. And, um, but once I, I got to marketing, I knew that was it. Like I, I, I could just feel it, that that's what I was supposed to be doing. So, and I still get to use some of the other disciplines, like elements of the other disciplines and what I do day to day. So I'd say it worked out. All right, good. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I think I changed mine uh, three times as well as, uh, <laughs> Being kicked out of school twice, so uh, but I did go back and graduate, and I have two graduate degrees, so it just took me a little longer to figure that whole thing out. Which is but you did it. That's what's most important. Uh, yes, it's good. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, can you give us a little background on Generali, what you guys do as a company, uh, what industries you work with? I know it's, it's a rather large holding company, but would love to know more about your organization than kind of the, the bigger parent as well. Sure. So Generali Global Assistance has been a leader um, in providing a variety of what we call care services really since our founding in 1963. So we do everything from identity and cyber protection to travel insurance to travel assistance. Um, really, uh, all of our services are focused around helping people during times um, that could otherwise be times of distress for them. So that's really what we focus in on. Um, we're, as you mentioned, we are a division of the multinational Generali Group. So we have a very large parent company. Um, Generali Group has a presence in more than 50 different countries across the globe with a super rich history spanning nearly two, two centuries. Um, the unit that I work in specifically in the identity protection and cyber side, um, GGA was one of the first companies to provide identity theft resolution services in the U.S. That was back in 2003. So that was, you know, well before data breaches and identity theft and cybercrime were kind of a daily occurrence or daily thing that people were talking about in the mainstream. 
Um, and today we provide white labeled and co-branded um, identity and cyber protection services to many of the Fortune 500 companies. So that spans a variety of industries and locations. So uh, um, spanning more than, I think we're up to over 90 countries at this point. Wow. So irrespective, yeah, of the industry, we really just focus on partnering um, with companies that are really looking to figure out how they can better understand their customers, better serve those customers um, with, you know, needing, addressing real needs that they have. Okay, great. Uh, I know you recently released your second identity theft and cybercrime research uh, paper. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We'll get rid of that. Um, so, um, and uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that impetus for that research and kind of, you know, what was in the paper? Sure. Um, so the initial study that was, was done in 2017, along with an organization called Benison Strategy Group. And at the time, we really just wanted to survey for customer priorities um, around identity protection services. Prior to doing that one, or just prior to that, we had launched our IRIS Identity Protection Portal. And we really wanted to confirm that we truly understood customer priorities around identity protection services, as well as like their attitudes, behaviors related to identity theft and cybersecurity. Um, as you can imagine, being in the field of marketing, it's really important to really understand your consumers' goals, their pain points, their priorities. So we wanted to just make sure we were doing our due diligence to really understand that in customer. Once we got the data in and started to analyze it, we were happy to confirm some things that we suspected, but also um, delighted to find out some things that we hadn't considered. So that information got really um, utilized and informed future product decisions that we made. And we got busy, you know, making enhancements to the portal. And then we looked up and realized a number of years had passed and we hadn't, you know, done the research in a while. So we decided this would be a good time to, to take another look at it. Okay, great. Uh, so you mentioned you did the first research in 2017. Did you notice any major differences in, in the findings between 2017 and this report? And were there different questions or kind of incremental questions? Because uh, I know as we do research, you are actually redoing one of our, our kind of onboarding questions right now, surveys and like, how oh, this question is not good, or this is better, or we need to update yeah. this one. Yep. Um, so did, 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 were there any different questions between uh, 2017 now or similar questions, or did you see anything different? Yeah, so we try to keep the survey as consistent as possible across the two years, again, just so we were able to, or, you know, we were hoping, <clears throat> excuse me, we were going to be able to give apples to apples comparison between the data. So there were some minor tweaks to questions, but in general, we kept things pretty similar so that we could really com compare and contrast between the two things. Um, I would say one of the first things that kind of stood out to us as a difference um, between the two or not a difference, but there was uh, a, an increase or there continued to be an increase in the amount of concern that people had about um, becoming a victim of identity theft and cybercrime. So there were more consumers that really ranked themselves, almost a 10 point increase between 2017 and 2020. 32% um, of customers said that they were very worried about becoming a victim of, of cybercrime. Um, so it, that was interesting for us to see because between 2017 and 2020, you know, we've had a number of big breaches. And so it was interesting to kind of see our, our consumers getting breach fatigue where they really don't care anymore and, and there is no fear or are they, are they continuing to be worried about it? And we saw the latter. So um, another area that again, wasn't a major difference, but really interesting in the sense that um, consumers still ranked identity theft and cybercrime as a top concern for them as compared to becoming seriously ill, being in a car accident or having their home robbed. Now this 
in the 2017 survey, becoming a victim of identity theft or cybercrime still outranked those other fears. But what we found really interesting in 2020 was that that was still, uh, it still outranked those things during a national pandemic or a global pandemic. So to really still hear that people were super concerned about cybercrime and identity theft in the midst of COVID, you know, was really, really interesting for us. And I think it just highlights kind of the critical need that people have um, to, to have some level of protection against things like this, because it doesn't seem like, um, unfortunately, cybercrime or identity theft are slowing. And in fact, it's, you know, getting worse um, more often than not. So okay. I would say those are the biggies. So identity fraud is uh, a big concern, growing concern we've heard coming through COVID. How does identity fraud damage customer experience and potentially uh, you know, customer loyalty for a brand if it impacts a brand? Yeah, so I think any sort of fraud or theft at its essence feels like a violation, right? So that that's negative. And so it's really hard, even if you have an otherwise positive experience with a brand, when there's some sort of identity fraud or, or cybercrime that's experienced as it relates to that brand for, its, for that experience to remain positive. Um, we, in addition to doing our own research, we also partner with Javelin Strategy and Research and we uh, were sponsors to their most recent identity fraud study. And that study found that consumers who were seeking fraud resolution assistance um, from their financial institutions specifically, only a third of those victims were satisfied with that resolution experience. And moreover, four out of 10 of those um, victims decided that they were gonna close their accounts at that financial institution specifically because they were unsatisfied with that resolution experience. So I think it's really um, important to understand that not just trying to do what you can to minimize the chances of, of your consumers becoming victims to these sorts of things, but really addressing how you work with them once they have become a victim can go a long way in actually keeping them and uh, retaining them as a customer. And in some instances, customers um, or companies make consumers kind of jump through hoops to prove that it in fact was not them. Um, and even when they don't do that, it's stressful, it's time consuming. So companies really have to go the extra mile to try to make something that's already a pretty negative experience as le least negative or less negative as possible and somehow bring some positive aspect to that. Like this happened to me and I feel violated and damaged, but you know, when I called into that company, they were super compassionate, they were super helpful. Um, they really made me feel at ease and said, hey, we're gonna take care of this, don't worry about it, those sorts of things. That's really critical if you want to be able to salvage that relationship and really come out of it with, with um, more loyalty than, than you would have gotten going in. That's awesome. When you look at loyalty programs, do you think loyalty programs are particularly vulnerable to fraud? Uh, if so, why? Uh, absolutely. I think that, you know, anything that the average person likes, cyber thieves like just or um, identity thieves and fraudsters like just as much as anyone else. We love our perks. Um, identity thieves like them, too. So I think, um, you know, points, miles, things like that, that consumers typically accrue um, with a loyalty program may not be called hard cash, but they still have value. So that's um, something that's really important, um, you know. Also, because it's not actual cash, typically it can take longer for someone to realize that they may have been victimized or that that um, account has been misused or the points have been stolen or something like that. And so, um, you know, the longer it goes unnoticed, sometimes the more difficult it is to try to resolve it. But in the same sense, 
the customer is still going to expect whether, you know, they didn't realize it for a year because they haven't been traveling because of COVID. They're still going to expect that that company or that brand is going to help them, you know, make it right or make them whole in some way so that they're not at a loss. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's still, you know, they, they feel like I still did business with your organization to get to this loyalty status. And, you know, if you really care about that, you'll figure out how to, to make sure that I'm, you know, kind of recouped in some way. That makes sense. Absolutely. When you look at, um, uh, you know, the, the programs uh, going through the pandemic, uh, it's obviously, we don't have a significant impact. Different industries is impacted in different manners. You know, what identity, identity fraud, I'll get that out, identity fraud trends uh, have you seen uh, as an organization kind of going through the, the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, I think the biggest one right now is really related to the amount of employment related fraud that we're seeing. Um, not super shocking in the sense that anytime you have a situation like COVID that we're experiencing right now, um, even when it's natural disasters, anytime there are times of vulnerability for people in, in different communities, frosters are going to pounce on that and take advantage of it. So with uh, COVID in particular, people um, unfortunately have lost their jobs, they're out of work, and they're depending on um, a, you know help as far as resources are concerned from the, their local and, and um, federal governments. And so a lot of people have had to apply for um, unemployment, or, and we've seen frosters really take advantage of that. Um, within our own cases, we've seen, get this, a 5,630% increase in employment-related fraud. And I know that number sounds uh, made up or unrealistic, but that I had my folks double and triple check it. That is, in fact, the increase we've seen. And that makes up almost uh, an entire quarter of the cases we got last year. And so I think that's probably the biggest one. We also saw an increase in existing credit card fraud as well. So um, that's more than double between um, from in 2020 over 2019. So again, I think anytime that there's areas of, of vulnerability, fraudsters are going to take advantage of that. And unfortunately, COVID's not been much different. Um, scams are same same situation on the scam side. We've seen um, an increase in social security scams um, as well. Again when you're in a situation where you may be um, looking for additional resources and help, people don't often think it's um, uncommon to give out their social security number for their social security number to be requested. So again, scammers are taking um, advantage of the fact that people have their guards down and may be more willing to give out their social security number than they otherwise would. No, that's interesting. It, personally, uh, we as a small company, we've had two instances of fraud. Just had one last week of the gentleman that uh, hadn't worked for us in 10 years. So we had an unemployment uh, kind of uh, filing for us. I'm like, he hasn't, he, he was here when we first started the company. So I'm like, uh, try to fill it out. Then I just wrote fraud all the way through the rest yeah. of the paperwork. That's all I did, fraud, fraud. He hasn't worked here, fraud. But uh, yeah, we've got two cases ourselves. So it, and, and my wife works at a, a large bank and she's at, had a ton of it as well. So it, yeah. it's interesting to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are, it is, it's rampant. And when COVID first started, we, it was really more isolated to, I would say, um, Washington state was the biggie we kept seeing come in when it first started and it has not slowed down and it's gone all across the country. And you would think that now that things are starting to improve with the COVID situation, that we would see some sort of, you know, decrease in that, but it's still kind of going strong. So again, I think anytime 
that there are situations like this, fraudsters are going to kind of look for that low hanging fruit. And, you know, th this was unemployment fraud was it for, for this one. Absolutely. Um, what are some considerations that brands should be uh, keeping in mind when partnering with third party providers of these types of services? Are the services all universal? Is it is it customization based on kind of the, the industry, the vertical? And what should brands be thinking about when they're they're looking to have someone like your organization help them? Um, absolutely. That's a great question. So I think, you know, there is no one size fits all. Um, all the services or par provider partners are not going to be all the same. So companies definitely need to do their due diligence when they're looking for a third party provider of services like this. I think there are a few different key areas. Um, I don't know that there's there any in any I'm going to give them to you in any particular order of importance, but um, I, I do think that there are a few key areas to hone in on. First one is gonna be that they're trustworthy and dependable. We have an internal saying that we call do no harm. And essentially what that means is we definitely understand that the clients that we're partnering with, um, their customers are usually not getting just our services from that provider. So there's some other service uh, or product that they're getting from that customer. So the last, or from that um, client already. So the last thing that we wanna do is partner with them and somehow ruin or sully or put some negative impression on that relationship with the customer because they've decided to now include our services into their offering. So that's kind of the, the, the mantra at the, at the most foundational level is we do not wanna come in and do anything negative to the relationship that they already have to the customer. So that's the first thing. Um, on the flip side of that, we look for every opportunity we can to to uh, put a, a positive touch point in place. So that's gonna be for making sure that the um, site is, is as frictionless as possible, that it's very user-friendly um, to incredibly high customer service, which seems like a lost art these days um, when someone calls into our resolution uh, center for assistance. So that's gonna be a big thing. Outside of that, I would say specifically because of the nature of the type of information that we're getting from consumers, having good data protection procedures and policies in place are gonna be really important. Um, we mentioned at the outset of the interview that um, we're in a number of different um, segments that we operate in. We do travel assistance, travel insurance. So because of the nature of that being our history, we are really up to snuff and we really recognize the importance of maintaining high quality data protection policies and procedures and making sure we're protecting people's data. Um, the last thing I would say is probably really good support in you um, for that client, whether that means to your point, making sure that our features can somehow be integrated into a client's offering already in a really easy and seamless way to um, great onboarding to help them partner marketing to make sure that they're actually getting good utilization of the service once they have it um, right down to, you know, a really strong point of contact for as far as account management is concerned to address any needs that may come up. Okay. And, and what can our members of the brands particularly do to educate themselves uh, with regard to the danger of identity fraud and cyber crimes and how it can have a customer experience uh, and customer loyalty impact? And also, you know, what should consumers be aware of or wary of, uh, you know, with regard to the, the same issues? Sure. So with the first one, I would say, or the first part of that question, I would say, you know, sometimes uh, clients have the tendency to overcomplicate it. I say start by figuring out a way to incorporate um, education around identity and cyber protection services or 
uh, into what you're already doing. So don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. However, you are already communicating with your customers and that's working, leverage that, whether it's newsletters, whether it's emails, whether it's SMS, um, whatever you're already doing, start there because that's what's going to feel most organic and natural to for your customers to receive it, number one. But secondly, right. it it's not such a heavy lift or additional burden for the person that has to start putting that out and administering it. Um, I think, you know, education is a cornerstone at GGA, but we recognize that it's not every organization's priority. It's what we live and breathe every day. It's like identity protection, cybercrime protection. Um, but we recognize that every other business may not actually be in that space. Um, but the one good thing that we can say is I'm hard pressed to kind of find another business that it doesn't make sense for their customers to, to educate their customers about this sort of stuff. It's not something that a customer would get and say, I don't want to be protected from that, or that it's not important for me to understand ways that I could do better to protect myself from this. So, so I think that's going to be, um, you know, the, the best way to get started is use what you already have, look for those opportunities where you can, um, you know, uh, insert education about these things into existing uh, stuff that you have already. Um, as far as what we would do to educate, um, you know, other folks to keep them from um, falling victim, I think, you know, one of the biggest things is going to be they should consider um, offering their customers or uh, some sort of identity protection services like what we offer. And it's not just because we offer it that I'm saying that. I'm saying it again because I think it's a really good opportunity for uh businesses and organizations to say, not only do I care about the specific business that you do with me or the transactional interactions that we have, I care about you as an entire person. And I know that right. having a situation like identity theft happen to you can be stressful and it can be time consuming. And I want to do what I can to kind of make your overall you know, life better. Um, and, and so I care about you in that way. And that feels very genuine. Um, when it comes to something like this, because if something negative does happen, it really can impact multiple areas of your life. And so um, I think that that would be a good way to kind of help really insert it with your customers in a way that feels natural. Eugene, what are some tips or some uh, insider best practices for uh, customers themselves or consumers themselves uh, around identity fraud protection, things that they should be doing, things they should be cognizant of? Yeah, so I would say there are a couple of tried and true things or a few tried and true things that um, really will help keep them protected, irrespective of the type of scam or the type of theft or um, potential fraud. Number one is never clicking on any internet sources that you don't know or not familiar with. So we hear this all the time, but it really is important because a lot of that stuff redirects you to websites that have malware or the files contain malware. And once that stuff's in your system, especially unless that's your expertise, it's really hard to kind of undo it or get it off. Um, so I would say that's going to be the top thing. Um, similarly, don't forward or respond to any unsolicited emails, kind of same thing here. Just want to avoid um, engaging with folks that you do, that you don't know or you're not expecting to get communications from. Setting up multi-factor authentication on any apps wherever you possibly can, definitely go ahead and do that. That extra step can really save you some headaches down the road. 
Um, and then I know this is a tough one in the era of COVID, but really rethinking the information that you're sharing online because people have had to socially distance. They're really wanting to look for, for ways to be connected more and more. Um, so there is this impetus to kind of share your photos online. Um, mo most recently, we're seeing people uh, share their vaccine cards. You want to avoid doing all of that. Um, it's stuff that seems fairly um, benign, but it's not. Having that those little tidbits of information, your date of birth, where, you know, how many kids you have, where you live, those sorts of things all kind of put together a picture for fraudsters and identity thieves that make it easier to kind of take advantage uh, of your, of you and kind of steal your information and use it for bad purposes. So, um, and then lastly, it, it, you know, I can say this a thousand times and it never will get old, long, strong, unique passwords are always a good thing, never can go wrong with that. So lastly, I'm sorry, it, it, I kind of mentioned this earlier as well, but if someone can really have the discretionary income set aside to get an identity protection program, I think that that's going to be a really key thing. I get in times like this when things are tight for folks, it seems like an extra expense, but I really do look at it as an investment that can save um, a, a lot of stress, time, headache on the back end. Um, if you are happen to get victimized by this. In a lot of cases, people don't think this is something they need until after they've been put in a bad situation. And I tell people, don't wait for it, get out in front of it. Again, the numbers are only continuing to climb. So good, those are all good tips to, to keep themselves protected. Very interesting discussion. Uh, as, as you mentioned, fraud is definitely something that marketers should be cognizant of. Uh, we continue to see it as, as a big impact uh, on, on our side from a, a brand perspective. It's something they're asking more and more about and uh, how to proactively deal with it, address it. Uh, and, I, and I think one of the things we see is that it, it used to be like the uh, the drunken uncle at the, the family reunion, right? Brands didn't want to talk about it. It was kind of pull the covers over. I don't want to hear about it. But now I think there's an openness and willingness to talk about it and discuss it. So it's great to have organizations like yourself who are doing such uh, amazing work in this space to really help them. Uh, the fact that, you know, that it is more out, people are more open to talk about it. And I think in a community where people can discuss uh, in an open and honest manner, we can have some great dialogue and hopefully some great uh, recourse as well. No, absolutely. I completely agree. And I'll just kind of close with saying, I think it's really important to that point that people don't feel like they're being shamed or if they do become a victim, it's something that they need to keep to themselves. Definitely go out and, you know, get the assistance to get the situation resolved. Make sure you report it to the FTC. Those steps are really important to um, making sure that other people don't get victimized as well. And to know that it can happen to anybody. And it literally does happen every day to tons of people. Right. Well, again, thank you very much, Eugenia, for taking the time to talk to our audience about what you're seeing and doing. I think it's a great impact. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And make sure to join us back this Friday, May 21st uh, at 1 p.m. for our interview with Zozode. Thank you very much. <laughs>